The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by Tyler Ball. What's going on, Tyler? Hey, what's happening, Don? I uh, just want to remind the people that you can listen to us uh, on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or any of your basic podcast apps. You can con- you can contact us via our Twitter. Uh, at the show Twitter is at KTSPOD, or you can reach us personally at my uh, my Twitter is TABall1. Don DeLorente is, of course, Don DeLorente. All right, um, today we're going to get things started with a three-division preview um, season and getting closer and closer. As a matter of fact, the cut down to the final 53 um of course there's only a single cut this year um that date is uh saturday uh, september 2nd at 4 p.m um that is your original um that is the cut down to 53 and then your injury adjustments have to be done on the next day so uh, what we're going to try to do here is get all the divisions previewed and maybe even sneak in some fantasy tips for your uh, your upcoming drafts so we're going to start with our last uh division in the afc the afc west and uh they AFC West was a difficult division to, to predict because you possibly have three playoff teams. Um, Don, um, I really can't decide at this time who I would pick to win it. I mean, Kansas City looks looks great, um, but they don't have an. But sometimes I don't think they have enough offense to actually win it all, and they're going to need some offense to score against the Raiders and the Broncos. Um, the Broncos have a great defense, but of course they got to figure out who's going to be the quarterback. And the Raiders, um, the Raiders are going to rely on Marshawn Lynch and a a pretty solid offensive line and the emergence of, of uh, Derek Carr at quarterback, but they have a suspect defense, particularly in the secondary. So um, how do you see the West? Uh, this is probably going to be the best division in the NFL this year. I think that this is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Like you said, there's three legitimate teams that could all make the playoffs out of this division, which sounds crazy, but um, I think I think they should have to give the upper hand to Kansas City just because their team's been the most consistent over the past two or three years. Their defense has been very consistent. Um, they've gotten younger in some spots. They've uh, kind of retooled their secondary. They had a rookie lead the NFL in interceptions last year. So with Eric Berry back there being the old man of their secondary, their pass rush is a beast. Um, they've kind of tried to retool their wide receiver core so they can get more down the field plays, get more big strike touchdowns so they don't have to go 15, 17 plays. Maybe they can cut that down to nine and uh, score more points, like you're saying. So they've kind of addressed that situation, they think, through the draft, getting rid of Jeremy Macklin, kind of changing up their receiver uh, core. They've got Kelsey still working in the middle of the field. Um, they run a very fun offense to watch. They run a lot of college-looking plays, um, you know, mass in NFL formations with, you know, Alex Smith. Uh, he does a lot of running as a quarterback. So I, I think Kansas City would be my choice going in, but I don't think they're going to run run away with their division. I think they win by game. Just maybe who has the home field advantage or who can steal a game on the road will probably be the, the deciding factor. I think Denver's defense is still a beast. They get a defensive-minded head coach. Can their quarterback produce? Uh, most people think it's going to be Trevor Simeon just because he has experience. And then Paxton Lynch, I think he got hurt. So, you know, it may be a little bit clearer for Denver as far as their quarterback situation goes. But, you know, can he make enough plays? They seem to have maybe stayed 
stabilized themselves at running back towards the end of the season last year. And uh, if that, if those, you know, two or three of those things can work together, then, you know, Denver's going to be right there just because their defense can generate points by, you know, getting interceptions and, and, and strip sacks and things like that. And then the Raiders, um, they're, they're on the cuffs to me. Um, they look like uh, the way Jimmy Johnson had the Cowboys, where, you know, you could see that their offense was getting really good, but their defense was not quite there yet. And they had that one draft where they got their secondary kind of straightened away, where they got Darren Woodson back there and kind of stabilized their secondary. And then they went on to make the playoffs, and then the next year they won the Super Bowl. So. I think the Raiders, if Derek Carr can stay up healthy, Marshawn Lynch and the running back, you know, by committee thing that they're going to try to do, can keep the team balanced and maybe keep their defense off the field. Maybe they can pull like a Cowboys where they just control you with their offense and don't, you know, put their defense out there in bad spots. And when they, their defense do get, does get out there, you're down two or three touchdowns and not just scores, but touchdowns. And so, you know, they can afford to be a little loose in the secondary because they can give a play here or there, but they also may, you know, cause more turnovers because you've got to put the ball in peril more. And then, um, you know, running out the division, just the, the Los Angeles Chargers, which sounds so weird to say, um, they've just got injuries. Um, they probably might be the most, like, talented team, especially on offense. But, I mean, they've just got so many injuries, and they've got offensive line problems and bad offensive lines. I mean, Phillip Rivers throws interceptions. And uh, it's really a shame because Melvin Gordon really started to put it together at the end of last season. Um, a lot of people are looking forward to him being very, very productive this year. Um, they've got Gus Bradley now over from um, Jacksonville. Their ex-head coach is now their defensive coordinator. So, you know, people are looking for Joey Bosa now that he's, you know, got a whole training camp and offseason under his belt. He's got all this contract stuff out of the way that, you know, what he can really do if he was a defensive rookie of the year in like, you know, 12 games last year. So, you know, I think, you know, they've got a brand new coach. So the injuries to their receiving core is just kind of, you know, really setting them back. Their, pick, their rookies hurt. Mike Williams is hurt. Uh, Keenan Allen, he's hurt. So, you know, it's just got Gates as the only real healthy threat right now in the receiving core. And who knows how long his health is going to be because he is like 38. So, um, you know, Los Angeles may be the Chargers maybe um, in kind of that weird spot where they might be like one foot in the present and one foot in the future, where if they kind of start off in a good spot, they may kind of go for it and see where they, how far they can go. But if they start maybe, you know, a little slow, they may start trying to think towards next year and play some of their, their younger players and kind of see what they got. Um, the Chargers are in a kind of an interesting situation too, because of, you know, kind of like where they're going to play, you know, where they're going to play and um, just making the adjustment to coming into a new city um you know they already going to be facing um facing challenges and they're competing with with the rams um who you know they launched out with jeff fisher um you know they believed that they were going to be much better than they actually put out even with a rookie quarterback and of course it turned out to be disastrous so um la does bring you philip rivers who's a draw um they do have terrell williams who is who is pretty good out of fact he had a thousand yard season and really came on along with uh, melvin gordon later late in the year um i've actually had i was happy about that because i actually had both of them on my fantasy teams so um I'm, I'm, i was pleased to see melvin gordon get some touches really just to you know keep the ball out of philip rivers hands and forcing um he tends to force stuff particularly on, on third and long so um you look for their running game to improve um as far as the three contenders in the division 
Um, if I had to pick one significant factor with all three teams, um, I believe that's going to be who runs the ball the best. Um, because I think that with the Raiders offense can the Raiders offense can balance their defensive efficiencies. Kansas City can Kansas City can slow the game down because of their style of play. However, um, we're neither one of the three teams has a known factor in the running game. And I think in general wisdom, when you have a great running game, particularly with these offensive lines, you're going to be successful. And I think whoever wins the division is going to be the top uh, the top rushing team. I tend to look at yards per carry versus, um, yeah, yards per carry and passing yards per attempt, especially for Kansas City, because that's been a knack on their offenses. You know, it's a lot of short passes and, and the inability to throw the ball down the field. Um, Kansas City does have, of course, a playmaker in um, in uh, uh, Tariq, but um, can somebody else step into that role? I mean, I know you have Kelsey, but Kelsey tends to draw double teams. You get chipped by a linebacker and then get covered by a safety. Um, so who's going to make, who's going to be that extra factor for the Chiefs? Because they're probably in the best position to win um, right now as far as this division goes. But I clearly see um, Kansas City going in with a, you know, you could have a repeat of last year where you have Kansas City at 10-6 again. Um, you may have Oakland at a 10-6 and six or a 9-7 and seven, and Denver at a 9-7. That could very well be, be it. And then go to uh, the Chargers. I'll give the Chargers 6-10 and 10 right now. Yeah, I think the Chargers are going to win yeah. their share of games. I think they're going to, you know, have a couple shootouts and uh, maybe if their special teams are special or they're, um, you know, they step in front of one, you know, and take it back to the house. I, th- I think the Chargers are going to be highly competitive. I mean, you know, Phillip Rivers, I mean, for all the passes that he does get and all the interceptions he throws, I mean, he does have his team in football games. You, you know, you rarely see them just get wiped out. I wonder what the, how they adjust to the schedule. I think that whoever benefits from, obviously, the injuries, um, whoever has the least amount of injuries late in the year when you have a packed um, schedule of division games, that's probably the best, uh, that's probably the best shot of winning let's go to the last um the last week for let's say the chief, the last few weeks for the for the chiefs um i would say um if you put them together and say those last like three or last four weeks like for example um the last yeah well let's let's go to the last uh the last seven weeks of the season uh for the chiefs there at the raiders um they get the broncos at home at cowboys at giants then buffalo at jets and then they end the season against the raiders that's significantly uh, tough per se. Um, yeah, and it's like a very as, as we sit here, um, a little less than three weeks away from the seat, four weeks away from the season, about three weeks and a half, somewhere like that. Yeah, that looks very daunting because um, you're presuming you're assuming that the Cowboys and Giants back to back that those two teams are going to be battling it out for the their division. So they have to go play those two teams back to back. Literally, good swing the whole balance of power in the NFC East. Like especially if the Redskins are any good and they may be lurking like two games out um, in third place or something like that. I mean that that could, like if Kansas City was to beat both of those teams in back to back weeks, that would be a big statement that late in the season. So um, yeah, that's gonna be pretty rough. But I mean if you if you're gonna win the Super Bowl and you're gonna you know have a good seat in the playoffs, I mean that's the type of games and the step schedule that you want to play because you'll be tested in in hopefully you'll have the health see that's the, that's the thing where your health comes in where hopefully you'll be able to put your best bullets on the field when you when you play these high caliber games and 
you know, that's the one thing that we can't sit here now and, and have a good read on. Mm-hmm. Ra- the Raiders get a beautiful um, scheduled draw where they play six of their last nine games um, at home. Um, wow. You get the, uh, you get the, the um, after thanks, well, before Thanksgiving, uh, November 5th, you're at the Dolphins, but you get the Patriots, Broncos, and Giants all at home. And then you're, you finish, of course, at the Chiefs. That's sweet, <laughs> I would think. But the, cro- the cross-division matchups are the AFC East and the NFC East. And then you get uh, two, and then you get two teams at random that are um, that finish the same spot you did. Isn't so, that, excuse me, sorry, isn't that mm-hmm. Raiders-Patriots um, game, isn't that in like Mexico City or something? I think that's the, that's the Mexico game. Yeah, okay. it is. Now, that game right there is going to be very critical because, um, you know, who knows what type of effects going to Mexico City will have on someone, you know? You, you, you don't think altitude. about it that way, the altitude or just food or water or, you know, anything can happen. You know, you try not to have it, have it, have it happen. But for the Raiders, if they somehow happen to win that game, how do they handle the prosperity going into the end of the season to finish strong and not get hung up in we beat the Patriots and have it be a, a negative thing where they lose their focus and, and you know, get complacent? Because for a young team, a win like that could, could you know, either sharpen them, sharpen their resolve and get them even more focus or it could you know send them on a you know the the wrong direction where they're too confident they're overconfident and they think they were bribed so i'm looking forward to the game that's like my game of the year like low-key i hope everybody's healthy um so we can get a really good game and that's a wake-up call because you get the broncos the very next week um thanksgiving weekend so that that's a very significant turnaround that that actually could could determine um seeding as well because you figure um you figure the patriots would either be very close to clinching the AFC if they hadn't hadn't already, so that could very well determine seating and, and of course home field advantage, which which is critical in the NFL in the um, NFL playoffs. And we look to the uh, Broncos and how they close out. And, and again, um, when you have three teams that are this close, you try to look at the end of, of scheduling and see how how effective, um, how possibly if how effective those teams could be going in. Now, of course, the Broncos play five of their last eight on the road. Um, as a matter of fact, from October 22nd, you're at the Chargers, then you're at the Chiefs, at the Eagles, then you get the Patriots and Bengals at home, you're at the Raiders, at Dolphins, and then you end the season in New York. Um, with the Jets coming home. So you don't even get a divisional home game almost ha- half the season, which is which is wild. That's uh this tells me one good thing as a as a Redskin fan who um whose team is gonna be searching for wins. We play all those teams that like that are really good like that in the beginning of the season. So we might be able to have our stuff together a little bit and they be slipping and still one or two. So that's good. Um Denver, like I said, it's just gonna come down to experience from their quarterback and if their quarterback is making plays and not putting them in bad positions then they'll be fine uh, they lost a lot of games 13 to 10 16 to 13 you know 21 17 because they just had you know not not enough punch on offense due to inexperienced quarterback i like simeon i, I like simeon because he can get out of the way um, and that's really a big attribute to me in this version of the NFL where, you know, defensive ends and zone blitz and all this stuff. If quarterback can at least get out of the way, he gives you a chance. And I think, one, you know, once he just gets more familiar with it, the offense and, and what he can and can't do, I think that, you know, he'll be the right choice for them. I think they're on the right path with Trevor Simeon. They just need to let him get some more experience. Yeah, I'm, uh, that's going to be a very interesting, uh, interesting division. And I think they're going to make a lot of noise as far as who gets the final 
know what I'm saying, as far as the AFC uh, championship. So the AFC, we've wrapped it up. Um, eventually, we'll do predictions on how the uh, the season will end. Um, we'll probably just, we'll, we'll figure out as far as who makes the playoffs and, you know, and eventually we'll knock it down to a Super Bowl prediction. But for right now, we're going to move forward to the NFC. Um, we can now discuss the NFC West, which um, uh, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, you have Arizona and you have Seattle, which are, you know, two steps above the rest of the rest of the division. Um, I really like uh, Arizona's defense. Um, of course, you have the Legion, the, of course, the Legion of Boom in Seattle. Um, you know, both teams played each other to a practical standstill. You even had, uh, oh gosh, one of the worst games in special teams last season um, in a 6-6 tie, which is the epitome of a defensive struggle. Now, yeah, a 6-6 tie, first of all. So, um, Arizona, of course, is Carson. It's Carson Palmer, maybe his swan song, um, his last run as far as as far as quarterback. Um, the issue right now in campus, who's going to be the backup? Uh, Drew Stanton and Blaine Gabbard are, are battling. But um, as far as the weapons, um, the weapons right now, um, as far as camp is concerned, uh, you, you hear that uh, John Brown is finally emerging from a list, a laundry list of injuries. Um, of course, the, the uh, joke for him was he was known as Q John Brown because he was always questionable. Um, he looks really healthy along with Larry Fitzgerald, but uh, Bruce Arians has not been pleased with development of, of the other receivers, so they definitely have to prove improve um, because uh, I think they've caught part of Carson, Carson Palmer's regression from the previous season was um, he had he couldn't rely on any real targets other than Larry, and once you double-team Larry or rotated your coverage toward his side, it was not much anything you could do, so he threw up a lot of balls for grabs. Um, how do you see uh, Car- the Cardinals and the and the uh, Seahawk rivalry apparently because it's apparently one now. <laughs> I think it's really fun football. I think that the uh, Bruce Arians is uh, one of the smarter coaches as far as game planning and uh, having a game plan. And and he knows that the way to beat Seattle is to stick with your running game because I mean that's basically how they got that six six time. Uh, David Johnson ran like thirty something times for like fifty something yards. But right. the the whole point is the way you have to play Seattle is you just have to keep pounding the running game so you can maybe get to a way where you can get a big play based off your running formation. And uh, so that that's that's kind of one of the ways that, that the few times the few teams that can you know beat Seattle that's really the way you can do it. The Rams also have success playing Seattle that way, where you just you know you just have to keep running even though it may not be a successful venture as far as you know yards and the stat sheet. The threat and the balance of it will help you you know have a chance to score two touchdowns and maybe win a game against them. Um, I think that Seattle this year, um, as their preseason game came on last night, uh, they look to have a lot more speed in their wide receiving core, and that's always dangerous to add with Russell Wilson and his scrambling ability. Um, like me and you were talking off air, uh, Russell Wilson looked pretty good. He didn't look like he was hampered or slowed down by anything. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Jimmy Graham recovers from missing the second half of the season, if he's going to be um, you know, back up to speed. Uh, and then their, their defense, you know, are they going to get old? Is this a year where they lose a step? Is this a year where, you know, um, they finally, you know, aren't the baddest guys on the block. Um, that's going to be really key. And I think that um, Arizona's defense, they have depth issues. Um, they have really good starters in their secondary, but once they lose, um, you know, 
Um, Honey Badger went down two years in a row. Their defense fell off. You know, Peterson had some nagging injuries a couple of years ago. Their defense fell off. So they got to kind of find some depth to, if they sustain some injuries so they can keep their level up. Because, yeah, they're one of those um, intimidating defenses that can keep your points low and they can take the ball and score. So, um, you know, that makes it really hard when they're all healthy to go against because they create a bunch of turnovers and then they like to take your turnovers and turn them into points. So sort of like the old Baltimore Ravens where it's like everybody's racing to see if they can get the interception and take it to the end zone or to pick up the fumble and take it to the end zone. And then they have one of the best um, punt return and kickoff return units too. So they're one of the few teams who can who can strike that way and get points. So yeah, their, their defense and special teams will win them with a lot of games offensively. You know, it comes down to Carson Palmer. What kind of season can he have? Can they protect him? You know, he's one of these classic, you know, 1980s quarterbacks where if you put that brick wall in front of him and give him time, he'll pick your part. But if he's got to move around and feel hurried, then, you know, things could go wrong for you. So um, can they keep balance where they can, you know, use Larry Fitzgerald? That's kind of like an ATM, you know, when they really need him, they can go to him and they not have to always constantly rely on him. Um, You know, like you're saying, John Brown uh, being healthy, um, can they get um, just another receiver or two to kind of shift some of that focus off of um, Larry Fitzgerald in the, in the deep and deep you know, parts of the field? We know what David Johnson's going to be. I mean, he's pretty consistent. It's been, you know, three years of the same with him. Um, 100 catches out of the backfield, you know, over 1,000 yards rushing. Um, you know, I don't have any worries about him. So can Carson Palmer find some more targets? And um, can their defense, if they sustain injuries, you know, keep themselves near the top at the end of the season? And, and I think the Cardinals will make the playoffs for sure this year. And and they might have a chance because they kind of have the it's the wise old veteran at quarterback. And if, you know, things go right, he just might have one more one more shot at it. And it'd be cool to see Carson Palmer make, you know, one more run in the uh, in the playoffs. Um, well, the Cardinals had um, so many free agents leave their defense. Um, you know, you had Calais Campbell, uh, both safeties, Tony Jefferson and DJ Swearinger, um, cornerback Marcus Cooper after actually playing well on the opposite side of Patrick Peterson. And um, Kevin Minter, also a significant loss. Uh, I, you know, Arians really isn't as confident in his defense as we would think. Um, it's always about, and he does get Matthew back, and that's that's a big, that's, you know, that's a big deal, um, because obviously Matthew's a known commodity, but um, I think that Arizona is going to start slow and then pick up as the uh, the schedule um, as the schedule dictates. Um, I'm not sure how they're going to match up against Seattle's running back by committee. Um, Seattle significant, made significant um, uh, changes in the offseason, particularly adding Eddie Lacy, who is what they really need. Another battering ram type running back, um, along with CJ Precise and another bruiser in Thomas Rawls. Um, that may be the best running back tandem in all of the ball. Um, so I would put Seattle right above Arizona if I were to, to start today. Um, but we have two other teams in, in the division that we have yet to speak of. That would be the LA Rams and of course the San Francisco 49ers. Um, the Rams uh, have a new head coach after finally getting rid of Jeff Fisher. Um, they have a terrific defense. I mean, an outstanding defense, even with the absence of um, Aaron Donald whenever he decides to sign his pre-agent deal and play. Um, he's outperformed his contract, which, you know, there's no doubt in that. But um, the defense is still, even with their um, their trade last week to pick up, um, uh, trying to think who they picked up. I can't 
why is it um from the Buffalo Bills wide receiver Sammy Watkins? That's a huge help. Um, these two teams, I, I, like I, offensively, I have very intimate knowledge about like what they're going to be and what they're going to do because mm-hmm. they were the offensive coordinators for the last two regimes of the Redskins. Right. So we'll start with uh, the Wonder Boy Sean McVay. Sean McVay is very intriguing to me because Sean McVay may be in five years as a Redskins fan, the guy we say, hmm, that's the one that got away. Because if you want to believe the hype and believe their circles, that's the guy that made Kirk Cousins into maybe a $30 million quarterback, where this is, you know, he sat down and worked with Kirk Cousins and basically gave Kirk Cousins the knowledge and the, you know, the ins and outs of this particular offense. It's him and Kirk Cousins working together to produce the best passing game the Washington Redskins have ever had in their whole history of playing football. Now, a lot more than passing the ball and keeping your interceptions low and completion percentage high comes into winning football games. This is where having this defense coached by Wade Phillips comes into play. So, let's say he can get Jared Goff to be half as good as Kirk Cousins is or was wherever Kirk Cousins started this development. That's going to be a big improvement. He's not under any pressure to win 10 games this year. But if you win six, they're ahead of schedule. And I... And I think with the running back now, see, the only thing that a lot of these coordinators, these younger coordinators have is they want to show everybody how beautiful their passing game is. And sometimes they neglect their running game. And when you have a really good running back, that hampers him, especially around the goal line, because, you know, they get into these situations where if you don't get in on first down, you might not get the ball. And that is that was a big thing with McVay as the Redskins offensive coordinator and the guy calling the plays is we didn't generate a lot of rushing touchdowns in the Red zone because you know we you know he gave the running backs not a lot of chances and so you know that kind of can hamper some things in your efficiency Gurley actually spoke up about this last season where the offense was uh, just the predictability of the offense and obviously he spoke about not getting enough touches so mm-hmm. I think that when you have more of a balance um, that allows Gurley to uh, maintain his effectiveness and uh, and that's going to be key to watch because the Rams defense that a great squad and they got even better with the acquisition of Wade Phillips right. as the defensive coordinator. Um, now, you know, even you... with uh even with their trade um that brings uh, Watkins over and they've also lost the they've lost the running back too. I mean a a uh, a cover corner, they're still extremely effective. Mm-hmm. Um now, if you're into we... like the film of football, McVeigh draws up some beautiful passing game stuff. I mean it's beautiful to watch. And he learned all the beautiful stuff that he knows from working with Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now we move over to these guys in the 49ers and this is just basically a 16 game full speed audition you know who 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 do we have that can play you've got a new coach you got a new general manager new front office whole structure so you know they have their eye on maybe a handful of guys they think moving forward and then they have a bunch of guys that they don't know about and they just you know okay here's the deal put them out here on the field we'll identify who can play if we think we have 10 and then we 
play a season and we figure out we have 20, then, you know, we're closer to being more successful next year. I think that if San Francisco's smart, they would take the approach of don't rush and get a quarterback, get their defense straightened out, get their offensive line straightened out, and be the quarterback, the quarterback be the last person you get instead of like the first person. I think a lot of teams kind of have a flawed where they, they say, okay, we got to get the quarterback and then we'll build around the quarterback. Well, how about you build the team up and then put the quarterback in there at last? Yeah, because, and you know, we've discussed this before, the disconnect between the NFL and the college offenses. Um, that means that quarterbacks may need more than the benchmark of 50 starts to actually be a quarterback ready to make a significant contribution to a team um, because it just takes so long for for a quarterback that's just used to pre-snap reading off of one direction, taking the snap from the pistol or in the shotgun and getting rid of the ball, then to, you know, come under center and be, you know, three or four yards closer and taking the traditional five to seven step drop and then having to adjust from the defense change, disguising its looks. So I think that when your quarterbacks are not being developed at the rate that they should be, and uh, this is another thing to another related topic, the good quarterbacks in the NFL are old the really good ones are really old in terms of nfl years so quarterback development is probably going to be the key for football to be to um to at least maintain its entertainment value over the next decade or so because right now i don't see a lot of quarterbacks in college football that run even close to a traditional nfl offense so now going back to the uh niners uh you got brian hoyer who's going to be your starter we know what he is we've seen his movies so you know i agree with you develop your defense build build your team philosophy and then when the time is right go ahead and draft the quarterback that you have been scouting for two or three years and it's the one that you want Uh, yeah i mean everybody's talking about them maybe being in the the final destination for for Kirk Cousins, but um, you definitely need to have a, a strong defense, a strong running game, and a pretty decent offensive line for Kirk Cousins because um, as of yet, the season has yet to be played out. That's kind of the one step that he hasn't made yet is to be able to go out there and, and kind of take a game away from somebody. It looked like he was going to do it a couple of times last year, but our defense just wasn't good enough, and he, he struck too early. Left the other team with too much time when we have a bad defense, and they and the other team came back and ended up taking some wins from him. But if he can kind of get that into his into his into his makeup as a player, then maybe you could put him in a situation that's developing, and you know you know he can kind of get his feet wet for a year, and then the next year you can move on with Kirk Cousins if you're you know to the next plateau if you're Kyle Shanahan. But I, I would kind of stay away from it if I was Kyle Shanahan. You've got time, you know you your GM is new with you. You guys are a package deal. You've got time. There's no need to go out. And overpay for Kirk Cousins, and you got so many other things that you could use that money to to, to make better, and you know get two more drafts under your belt. And then if you want to go with a veteran quarterback, you have an established line, you have an established defense, you have an established running back, you have receivers who who have shown that they can make plays and, and things like that. So the long game for me would be in year three that they look to kind of make their move on a quarterback, not any of these first two years. If I'm the if I'm the 49ers. Um, I think the Rams are a lot closer. You know, they're kind of in the position of if golf can just improve enough to show that next year, you know, there's some real promise, then, you know, maybe as soon as next year, 
depending on how they do their thing with Aaron Donald and 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 in the cornerback uh, that they have going into his last year being able to play on the franchise deal they may be closer than everybody thinks and you know it's just a you know again like you said quarterback development can he go from playing in that like you said that air raid system of standing back there field spread and it's just basically pick the slowest dude on my fastest receiver and I'm throwing to him um, type of offense that's why um, like Andy Reid is really a, a masterwork in watching his offense because he has a lot of college in his offense. Um, he's one of the few um, coordinators or coaches that's still running a lot of the quote-unquote zone read that people thought was, you know, just went away when RG3 and Colin Kaepernick kind of faded away as far as their notoriety. But, no, it's in your football still. It's just more selective in how they're running it. But Kansas City runs a big dosage of it, more than a lot of other teams. It, it comes off as their quote-unquote gimmick plays. But if you mm-hmm. if you notice it, they're running those probably about 25 30% of the time. And we take a look at the schedule, which is going to really determine uh, who wins the division as far as um, Seattle and Arizona. Interestingly enough, this the season ends on Christmas Eve, um, actually on New Year's Eve, where the Cardinals are at Seattle. Uh, Cardinal-wise, uh, you, you can let's go from uh, the significant portion where they have uh, a nice little contingent of road games um, where they're, you know, from week three, well, actually from, um, you know, the start of the season is pretty interesting for Arizona because you got at Detroit, at the Colts, then you got home against Dallas, um, home against San Francisco, and home, I mean, and at Philadelphia. That's, that's, you got a chance to get off to a really, really good start there. You know, possibly 4-1, possibly 5-0. and Then you got Tampa Bay coming into town in week six. Um, in week seven, you're at the Rams, then at the 49ers, and then in, uh, you know, plus the bye week. So, for your first 10 games, Arizona's first 10 games, they could actually start eight, eight and one, seven and two, maybe uh, six and three. That's not bad. I mean, before you even see Seattle, you could, you may have a two game lead on the on the Seahawks. Yeah, that's kind of the position they they've been in the kind of last couple of years. They've started off pretty fast. They've just had you know injuries and they've kind of slowed down at the end of the season. Yeah, uh, um, that's uh, yeah, that's that's actually a great um a great schedule to be honest. Um, so they have the uh, the NFC South, the AFC, uh, the NFC South and the AFC. South. You gotta like the chances. Um, and let's see how how does Arizona end their season um, before playing the all probably the all everything game at Seattle on New Year's Eve. Uh, let's go to the four games before um, week twelve. You've got your home against Jacksonville, home with the Rams, home against the Titans at Washington in week fifteen could be significant. Home against the Giants and then at Seattle. Man, that's that's weak to be honest. That sounds like eleven and five. <laughs> It just depends. It, it depends on the weather. If the weather's not optimal in DC, and that could be a trip up game, they gotta come. They gotta come over. So you gotta always count in those those travel games. Um, they, I think they try to accommodate them now by making those four o'clock games for anybody who has to do that now. But um, you know, a four o'clock game in November that might not be what the Cardinals want. If you catch one of those, um, you know, thirty-seven degree days with the sun up, yeah, that's that's a whole different ball game. <laughs> it really is. Um, 
As you look at Seattle, um, Seattle schedule, not not bad, not bad. You get uh, four of your last six at home. Um, October twenty second, you're at the you're at the Giants, and then you have your home against the Texans and the Redskins. At of course at uh, Seattle, then you got Falcons, um, uh, Falcons, Niners, Eagles. Hmm. Texans versus Seattle. That's gonna be wow. That's now that's gonna be a heck of a game. Those now see who now I think you said the Redskins play Seattle after that. Whoever plays the two teams after that game, they might have a chance to win that game because uh, yeah, that's gonna be one of those games where the two defenses are gonna be out to show you know who's who, who's the mightiest one of them all. And uh, mm-hmm. there could be there could be some residual effects of, on both sides in that game. So yeah, that might that that could be an interesting game to watch that late in the season. And you know, playing Seattle, um, you know, just like you mentioned with playing the Ravens, you have to watch the game before and the game after, particularly the game after, because Seattle is so physical as a um, as a defense that they tend to wear on you. And you know, not only are you not fully healthy or um, going into that following week, um, you know that's where your significant injuries come in and a lot of times uh teams have lost effectiveness by playing a C- playing a seattle type team uh just like uh when they played the uh the ravens of the 2000s with that type of uh that type of defense mm-hmm. but um yeah you got eagles on the on december 3rd at jaguars rams and a big one at the cowboys christmas eve for seattle that's going to be a revenge game. Um, as you know, uh, two years ago, uh, Dallas went up to Seattle, um, having a it was a crossroads type game for Dallas, and they whipped them pretty good. Um, they attacked the Legion of Boom with Demarco Murray, uh, and this is this is definitely one that Seattle's looking to uh, pay back the Cowboys. And because that is a late game, that's probably going to affect seeding. And you know, if the Cowboys haven't recovered from Ezekiel Elliott's suspension, they may be still fighting for a, their playoff lives. <coughs> So that's that's a pretty big deal for um, for the Seahawks down the stretch, but they don't get to the fast start that Seattle does. Um, you look at you open at the Packers and then you got 49ers. You're at the Titans, home against the Colts, and then at Rams at Giants. So not as great as Seattle, but that's a decent start. You mean Arizona? Maybe, um, you mean Seattle start? Seattle isn't as great as Arizona's first flight. No, it's not as right. It's not as good as Arizona's, but it's decent. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. But see, that's the thing. Like you know, beginning of the season, like those first like two weeks, man, it's bizarre with football. You can't believe any of what you see because the games are so wacky. Like you know. Green Bay usually plays a shootout game in their first game. So if it's Seattle and Green Bay the first game, it might be, you know, 35, 38, you know. Mm-hmm. So you can't you can't really base anything off of that. So those first couple of games, you kind of just kind of say, okay, it's just beginning of the season. Like game three, four, and five, that's when you kind of start seeing what kind of football team you got. So, you know, that's when, you know, whoever those next, you know, going into week six, you played a month, guys have had a chance to – work out any of the training camp cobwebs guys who you know have been coming off of injuries and now had enough practices and stuff to kind of get their time back and stuff so that's when you start kind of figuring out who you got so you know you may unfortunately throw away the first two games just because of the wackiness of the season but then if you get into where you're three and two going into that six week and you can get to four and two 
uh, that's kind of where I start seeing the measure of a good team. How often can they double up? How many losses they got? So if you can go from, you know, from two, from zero and two to four and two, you know, I think, you know, that's a pretty good football team. You know, once we start going into the meat of the season. Um, one little slight thing in Seattle that we uh, don't want to overlook um, because uh, Seattle special teams are extremely important. Seattle has Blair Walsh, um, outstanding kicker, but who's uh, forever haunted by the memory against the Seahawks where he shanked a chip shot field goal that would have sent um, the Vikings into the uh, NFC championship game. So. Um, that's still he and he's honest about it that still haunts him to this day um, but he's still an outstanding kicker and he gets to kick in a dome now so um, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a great season um, and he's he's very very reliable especially from distance so uh, that's enough that's an added weapon as you know as far as Seattle goes with their style of play sometimes they're not going to be able to punch it in so it's great to have a solid kicker and you know obviously special teams does do win games um, the Cardinals have um Cardinals have issues special teams wise. Um, this is probably the only division where we'll have a, a actual conversation about special teams because Arizona's had problems. Um, uh, Coach Arians has significantly uh, discussed in training camp about f- trying to find a guy who can catch a punt. <laughs> um, he does not want Patrick Peterson returning kicks uh, to you know for health reasons. Um, Patrick's kind of been susceptible to um, to nagging leg injuries, so he would rather have a actual kick returner. I know he's put John Brown back there. He's uh, tried a couple of other players. He's still, he's even tried, um, he's tried even Johnson. So something's going to have to be done. Um, it's a, right now, it's a wait and see. But um, they upgraded the kicker position. Uh, of course, you had Chandler Canizaro, who had a nightmare season last year. Um, they upgraded there. And I think they got, um, who the uh, got who their kicker is. I think it's um, not Matt Prater, but um uh, I can't remember right now, but that was the change that they made was, there was extremely significant, to say the least. Uh, Phil Dawson is his name. Um, Dawson Dawson is, even though he's 42 years old, he's um, he's been around 18 years, and he actually hit um, he hit 8 of 11 from 40 or longer and didn't miss inside the 40 and was, uh, you know, he missed uh, one extra point where he had, and it was uh, blocked. Canizaro hit only uh, 21 of 28 kicks last season, and he missed a league high four extra points. Um, the only kicker who can honestly say was worse was Alberto Aguayo, who uh, famously got cut in front of a TV audience on this season's Hard Knocks. And by the way, Aguayo was a, was a uh, second round pick as well. So um, that upgrade in special teams is, is huge for Seattle, especially, I mean, for um, Arizona, especially when they're going up against uh, Seattle as well. So I'm looking forward to special teams being a difference in that match, in those matchups, and particularly over the course of the season. So we move forward to the last division. And before we do that, we want to remind you that you are listening to Know the Score here at um, on the CSPN. We just want to remind you that at our website at CSPN.us, you can um, you can check out the Keep Our Podcast Free app. And you can shop at uh, at places such as Amazon, Skull Candy, Busted Tees. And uh, when you make a purchase by clicking on those links, a portion of your purchase goes to the CSPN so we can keep our podcast 
free for you to listen and enjoy. Um, of course, we invite you to enjoy all of our shows. Um, of course, uh, Don Delorente has has the um, Rassle Cast. Um, we have our sister sports show um, for football, the Gridiron Gals. We have our flagship show, which is back for uh, season two, the Good and Terrible Show. Um, we also have the Bad Advice Show. Um, we have uh, Riding and Rolling, which is dedicated to vehicles. Um, can't forget, Nebias Wilborn, our co-host, also has his own podcast called Beard Is. Um, just more shows that you can count. Can't forget our um, our other fellow hosts, uh, uh, Jeremy and Dan, with Crown and Collards. And Crown and Collards actually has a couple of offshoot shows. Um, we we will also welcome the new uh, personnel to our network, which you will meet uh, via our our show found our show co-founder and moderator, uh, Classic Materia. Uh, he has his own show, Classic Team Up, in which he will be explaining and introducing you to our new team members. So please stay tuned with the CSPN, tune in to all of our shows. And of course, you can always contact us via our Twitter. Um, underscore is KTSPOD. Our last division review today will come from the NFC North. And is this going to the back to the back, um, going back to the black and blue division as it's been known in the past? Or is this just um, a bad division disguised under the play of Aaron Rodgers? Um, I think it's the second one. <laughs> just because, just because. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is clearly cut the best quarterback in the division, followed by Stafford. Then, I mean, by default, I guess you have to put um, Sam Bradford in then because, you know, Glennon and, and Trubisky, by being a rookie, you know, they aren't better than him. So I don't think that anybody would say that Sam Bradford is, at this point, you know, knocking anybody's socks off. I don't think he's going to sneak up on anybody. Um, I think what's going to be interesting to, for them is just to see if um, – Dalvin Cook can carry the load. I mean, it looks like he's going to be like an every down back, like he's not coming off the field. Um, so can he just sustain? Uh, and can Minnesota find something in their receiving core? Um, Diggs finally started to come along last season and be a game-breaking receiver, but they didn't have any other threats on the other side. I mean, Mike Wallace is a one-trick pony, and you know, every once in a while he'll get behind your defense, but that's not something you can count on every week. And so they need, just like Arizona, they need just a little bit more on the outside from their passing game to maybe free some things up. And, you know, if Bradford can have a season like he did a couple of years ago when he started off really hot, not turn the ball over, be real efficient, you know, when he get in the red zone, capitalize and scoring touchdowns. You know, Minnesota with their defense will always have a chance. And they're another defense that scores hidden points by um, – kickoff returns and punt returns. So so they'll be in a lot of games. Um, Detroit is a team that intrigues me the most um, because their offense is so dynamic. Uh, even though you don't know who their receivers are, Stafford is getting into that Brett Favre mode where he was in like 95, 96, where it doesn't matter who, who you put on the other end of it. As long as they catch it, I'll make them famous. Um, Abdullah, if he can stay healthy this year, I think he's going to be in for a big season. Um, you know, it comes down to just do they have enough defense? Can they stay out of shootouts? Um, that was basically their <laughs> their problem last year. They just got caught up in too many shootouts and got the wrong end of those. And um, for all the struggles that Green Bay had last year um, on offense, Aaron Rodgers still led the league in touchdown passes, and they were in the NFC Championship game. Uh, so, you know, not bad for, you know, a team that was like 10 games into the season. Everybody was uh, hitting the panic button and, you know, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. And uh, Chicago Bears, um, again, they're, they're just doing another year of evaluation. Um, 
trying to figure out do they have the offensive line to protect the quarterback. Uh, their defense, though, is is an upcoming unit. Um, you know, there will be another year where they can kind of gel together and grow together. And uh, hopefully they won't have to play Trubisky before it's time. And, you know, Mike Glennon can get in there and take his lumps while, you know, the offensive line gels and gets their stuff together. And then with if Trubisky has to play this year, um, they'll be better equipped to to protect them a little bit better than if he was to just get thrown out there in the beginning of the season. Um, again, it's just going to come down to um, I think it's going to be Green Bay and then kind of flip flop Detroit and Minnesota. I just you know look at the draw. Um, who gets a bounce here? Who gets bounced there? Like you're talking about field goal kicking, especially in this division, is a is going to be a big factor because three out of the four teams play outside, and um, you know, well, and that can ultimately cost the team a game if you don't have a good kicker. Cold, cold weather. Um... My look at the division is uh, I, I have some interest in this division just because there's some talent that people aren't going to um, see. They don't their names don't come out at you, but there's talent in this division nonetheless. And I think there's there's some good football uh, to be played um, for Minnesota. I, I do like Diggs, but I'm intrigued by how um, Laquan Treadwell uh, develops. Um, he barely he barely got onto the field last year. It was an extreme disappointment. Um, I honestly say he. He was the draft bust. Um, he actually got fewer plays than Adrian Peterson last year, who only played three games. Um, Adam Adam Tillian is another silent name who can actually make some plays. Michael Floyd um, got more notoriety for his suspension more than his actual play, but he, um, you know, he is a talent. He does have good hands. He's a big target. I, I like um, I like Bradford in this role. Um, you know, not too many not too many passes rely on your running game you got two really good running backs both that can catch the ball by the way um Dalvin Cook's explosive especially in the open field um he definitely showed that last year at Florida State um I also like the fact that he can he proved last year that he could run in between the tackles so he can handle he can handle a pounding if need be so now you have two backs who have proven them who you know are proven commodities so Bradford doesn't have to throw 35 times a game to beat you and with this defense um you know you got Harrison Smith who's a ball hawk uh i I really like those guys i I really like this team um i think that uh when you look at detroit um detroit has like you said some some no some no names it's just stafford just slinging it um marvin jones is a name because he is a big target and he made a ton of plays um having taken over from uh from calvin johnson i i think he's going to be the guy of the future as he goes um so goes his offense along with abdullah um defensively they made a huge acquisition and getting um, the rookie uh, Gerard Davis out of Florida, who was pretty dominant in the SEC, um, he definitely could have uh, could have bowed Ruben Foster for the Outland Trophy. Um, I really, really like like uh, like him. And now that Raekwon McMillan is out for uh, Miami, I think this is probably your impact defensive rookie here. Um, he's going to get a lot of opportunities because he's got to play right away. I like. Um, I also like DJ Hayton for Detroit um, as a slot corner. He might even move to the field corner um, because. Darius Slay is a pretty solid lockdown guy. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Detroit uses uh, multiple um, uh, multiple defensive backs, probably nickel, some dime, to take the pressure off a rather weak linebacking crew. Um, defensive line is solid, not spectacular, so Detroit is going to have to you know outscore some people, which suits Matt Stafford all fine. Um, have to look at the schedule to figure out what their re- what the records will be, but your contenders in this division typically are. Um, 
I would say I would put Minnesota just ahead of Detroit. And of course, everybody's chasing the Packers. Um, I mean, heck, the Packers have Aaron Rodgers. That's that's what it is. Um, they need a running back, obviously. Yeah. Um, Eddie, they- Eddie Lacy didn't work out. He's in Seattle. Uh, Ty Montgomery is, uh, you know, he's actually going to start again. Um, you know, former wide receiver, even wears a wide receiver number still. So, uh, you know, him being like a see, see, I think that's kind of fun for Mike Marks. I think that's fun for Aaron Rodgers. And I think it's kind of no coincidence that kind of when they kind of went with him being as their running back and doing all the crazy things they can do, because now you can legitimately put your backup running back on the field too, and then motion out and you can make everything like a three wide receiver set, but disguise it as something else. And so, you know, it's no, uh, you know, coincidence. And once he kind of got into the lineup, we got integrated, their offense started taking off and they started just using him all kinds of ways. Um, not just as a running back out of the backfield per se, but he was, you know, still playing slot receiver and, and doing a lot of things in the passing game. They've got some pieces. Um, I like Aaron Jones, who's who's the fifth round pick. And of course, uh, Jamal Williams, who they got in the fourth round. Um, those two are going to be competing for um, for the spot as far as um, along with Montgomery when Montgomery moves out to the slot. But the significant piece of Green Bay this year is getting Martellus Bennett, proven commodity, tight end. Mike Martz loves tight ends. He loves the big play receivers on the outside, but he really loves big pass catching tight ends. Extreme upgrade over Jared Cook, um, especially as a run blocker. Uh, look for him fantasy wise. Go ahead and take him. You know, your mid your mid round. He's probably your best tight end option uh, next to Kelsey and of course Gronkowski. Um, he's a big target, can can block, and he definitely will be a guy to look at as far as the um, the goal line. If if Rodgers isn't throwing thirty yard bombs, he's probably going to find Martell has been in the back of the end zone, in the red zone. So um, the question is, can Green Bay stop people? Um, you know, the panic button. Even though the panic button was really about Rodgers and his lack of weapons, the real panic button was Green Bay not being able to get key stops down the stretch, and that really showed when the defense just just the wheels just fell all the way off against the Falcons in the playoffs. Um, Do you think it's a case of um, just Dom Capers has been around for so long now it's, it's nothing new that he can show anybody? You know, I mean, you know, he's been with the Packers for at least like seven seasons. Uh, he's been in the league with his defenses being, you know, a style or form of his defense being in the league for at least the last 15 years or more, probably 20 going back to his time with Pittsburgh. So you just think that maybe it's just a case of, hey, you know, he's got nothing else to show, even though he may have new troops deployed in, in these, you know, it's just the same concepts and people understand where he's coming from and how to attack it now. No, I don't think it's that. I actually think in this case, Green Bay has had an issue of, Green Bay's issue is talent. Um, I just don't think it's there. I don't think that it's, uh, I just don't think that they're they're that good. Um, I think that when you had the significant losses of guys like Collins and, uh, you know, guys like that, guys like Shade, and, uh, you know, when you look look further back, you have a guy like a, like a Peppers, who was a, a kind of a linchpin. Um, they just haven't had really great 
individual talents on the defensive side of the ball. Um, we see we see that uh that Matthews is getting old, that Clay Matthews is getting older. Um, they haven't had a significant uh, addition since then. So that's the that's the problem of being good enough to where you're going to draft late, so you can't necessarily get the best defenders available. But you also um have kind of given away picks too. So you know you're you're pretty much having to draft of what you got, and it just so happens that the hits have been on offense and not particularly on defense and this kind of hurt their offensive line too because you know Aaron's had to had to really do it on his own and he's run for his life several times and I think the game last year where he fell apart before it came together was the Dallas Cowboys um we actually know who David Irving now is because of his game specifically against the Green Bay Packers where you know he played I think in 25 plays and uh was arguably the best player on the field including offense he was that good um and that was more a significant, uh, you know, you had the Aaron Rodgers questions, uh, you know, what's wrong with him. And I really just think that it's a talent issue more than it is a, you know, Rodgers isn't playing well or Rodgers is struggling. I just think on both sides of the ball that they just going to have to draft better. Um, they're, they're not necessarily big time spenders in the free agent market. Um, they're known for filling needs and needs only. So <sighs> time will tell if uh, Green Bay is going to be uh, back in that elite position of, you know, you could kind of pencil them in for a, a spot in the NFC Championship game. I still think that they're a 10-16. I still think that they're the team to beat in this division just on the sheer will of Rodgers and the fact that Stafford and Bradford tend to throw games away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if you handicap it by who has the best quarterback, I mean, you can't go wrong with saying that Green Bay is the, you know, far and away uh, favorite to, to win it. Um, like you said, if we can just get a little bit more, it seems weird that a division that we grew up on that was known for its tough defense, you know, that all these teams have like secondary issues. Um, you know, the Bears a little bit less than the other three teams. But if they can kind of sure up their defense a little bit more, get some more pressure on the quarterback, I mean, you know, that's the best thing that you can do to hide a bad secondary is to be able to pressure the quarterback. Uh, Clay Matthews has had some less than Clay Matthews seasons the last couple of years due to, you know, health, body health here and there. So, um, we're going to see if we can just keep it going between um, here and there to see if they can uh, get their defense improved. You know, Aaron Rodgers is going to be there regardless if he has a, a running game or not. And I, I, Minnesota just intrigues me a lot. I, I think that they're one of those teams that seem to be just a quarterback away. And, you know, they're going to try it with Bradford one more year and, and see if he can get the job done. So uh, good luck to them. And Chicago Bears, uh, good luck to those Bears fans. Um, John Fox is a pretty good coach. He's a good coach to kind of have a rebuilding project because he does believe in playing young players. Um, he doesn't really get to the point where he lets his veterans play too long if it's in a bad situation. So you'll definitely be able to identify your talent a lot quicker with a guy like John Fox because um, uh, he's not afraid to play the young guys. Tyler, is there anything you'd like to add as far as the records? You, you think that uh, Green Bay and, and you think it's going to be Green Bay in Minnesota? You think they're going to come down to a, a last couple of last month of the season type of showdown or you think Green Bay is going to start fast and pull away? Um, I think that this is the this is the type of uh, this is the type of year where any team that gets off to a fast start um, they can be overcome by the uh, just the physicality of playing outside in the cold. I mean, let's look at you know we can we can look at Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota got to a ridiculous start. Um, I think what five and zero or six and one, mm-hmm. and then lost seven of eight. Um, I, I just I just feel that 
Um, you know, a fast start isn't a guarantee because of the style of play versus um, that the NFC West where, you know, you get a lead in that division. Um, it's so difficult to catch up with, you know, Seattle and Arizona, the team who gets the, gets the best start. Usually it's a team that holds out. But in the North, I think that there's some, there's going to be some um, kind of some jockeying for position. Um, you look at, you look at whoever gets the best start, maybe, you know, the, the team that gets a one game or, or a game and a half lead and um, it would be up to Aaron Rodgers to decide, you know, which team's going to come out on top. Um, I'm just, I'm just really, this one isn't as tough to call, but I don't know if Detroit and Minnesota have enough to take away a wild card from, let's say, an NFC East team, which we'll, we'll talk about on next week's show. Right, right. Yeah, there's a couple of divisions um, that have a chance to get multiple and maybe even three um, playoff teams if, if everything goes just right. So, yeah, playoffs are going to be a crowded place to be this year, and it may open up the talk again if a team has a really good record and gets left out of expanding it out to 12 or 10 um, and give, you know, the first two teams, you know, buys in the uh, first round. Well, let's let's uh, let's say um, you're thinking – Nine wins for the pack. Um, I think that's a little low. You 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 def you would definitely take the over on, yeah. on that nine wins. Yeah, okay. yeah. They're gonna be they're gonna be ten and six, eleven and five. Uh, you know, as we always say, good breaker there. Field goal goes in, or other team misses a chip shot. You know, it could be thirteen and three, depending on defense and and schedule. Well, well, and you don't want to go with Aaron. You don't want to go against Aaron Rodgers in a shootout, right? Even with Matt Stafford, and 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 you know Stafford's held his own in um in shootouts with with Green Bay before. But at the end of the day, it just comes down to who has the most playmakers, and I believe that. Green Bay actually does in this particular, um, you know, in this league. I just think that the Green Bay is just a step better than mm-hmm. everybody else. Um, before we uh, before we end the discussion on the North, let's look at the schedules of let's look at the schedules of, of each team and see what kind of starts they're facing. Uh, we already mentioned the Packers open up against the Seahawks. Then week two, they're at the Falcons. Then you got Bengals, Bears at home, at Cowboys, at Vikings. So six games. You're looking at uh, oh boy, that could go either way you could yeah they, you want to go three, three. And three. Could, yeah three and three is kind of where you want to be right there um, that's respectable then you look at uh the meat of the schedule which is your, your you know right around the middle then you got the um you know you got your you got the saints lions at bears ravens at steelers back to back yuck <laughs> do not like that and then you got and then you got the bucks even though it's at home that's still yuck three physical defensive teams consecutively ravens steelers buccaneers mm-hmm. don't like that at all even uh especially for the packers you get a bit of a break with your last four games of the season but three of them are on the road at cleveland at carolina vikings at the lions to end to uh to end the stretch that's that's not the greatest yeah that's gonna be a rough uh rough second half of the season i mean that's what happens when you get the number one schedule though in your um in in your division you get to play the the, the theory the toughest games so and, you know, what's weird about the NFL is you look at this now, and as we talk about this, it sounds really tough. But then if we go back after the season's over, it may be like the beginning of their season may not, their schedule may not be that hard due to this team not being as good as we think they're going to be right now. So, you know, the NFL season is really hard to predict.
it because the teams are so drastically different from year to year. Yeah, you know, and, and of course, uh, <laughs> it was funny. Um, I was listening to uh, Bomani Jones and uh, somebody was speaking of talk of the Patriots going undefeated. And we, you know, we kind of laughed it off because, you know, you're trying to if <laughs> if a team stays healthy, which is the most laughable um, concept in the NFL. Um, you know, how can you predict a team staying healthy when you got car crashes and collisions and folks getting hit in the head? So very, very, very laughable. Um, and I also think the prospect of 16 and 0, even though it's happened, it's still not. Nah, can't see it. Uh, we look at look at the Vikings. Um, as you can see, the NFC North plays the AFC North and the NFC South. So the Vikings start out with a pretty brutal start. Saints at home at Steelers versus Bucks versus Lions at Bears versus Packers versus Ravens. Man, that's looking like a three and four start. Maybe even two and five. Uh, that's the thing. I think Minnesota plays a lot of these teams tougher in the season and their defense jumps on teams because you know beginning of the season defense is ahead of offense and, and Minnesota is the perfect team to win um, the beginning first three or four games with that stifling defense. I mean, it's the same formula they used last year. They had the best scoring mm-hmm. defense. Uh, they were scoring the most and they were holding teams down the most on defense for like the first month and a half of the season. So those kind of, even though it looks rough to start off with now, I think that kind of plays into the strength of Minnesota's team is that, you know, their, their defense can, can, can hold them into games. Well, um, you got your, um, and of course your, uh, that's interesting. interesting little game there, little stretch there. You got Packers, Ravens, Browns at Washington, and then uh, versus the you got your home against the Rams. But this is your your last six game stretch to end the season at Lions, at Falcons, at Panthers, home against the Bengals, at Packers, home against the Bears. They play a lot of teams that's very similar to them um, as far as style of football. The only team that really kind of stood out that was a little bit different that they really or they isn't a division game that they have intimate knowledge of would be Atlanta. So I think maybe Atlanta's versatility on offense, um, you know, may give them some issues. Um, but everybody else, like the Panthers and, and the other teams that you named, they kind of play a similar style where, you know, defense, running game, if you can stop the other teams run, you'll have a good chance to, to be in the game. So, you know, that's why I say, I, I, me personally, I hold a lot of stock in Minnesota's defense. I, I mean, I um, just from afar, they've been kind of one of the teams I've watched and admired the way they play defense and how good their defense is and how they're one of the few teams who, with the rules the way they are, can kind of intimidate other teams with their defense, especially if, if you're not moving the ball early in the game on them. So, you know, like I said, I just I just look at Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford can play with himself. Minnesota could really be a threat and they could actually be the team that comes out of this division that nobody's talking about. So I, I think Minnesota is going to be anywhere from eight and eight to 10 and six, maybe 11 and five if everything is just like, you know, perfect, perfect, perfect for them. I'm going on the low end. I would say, um, I would say eight and eight, um, just to ba- just to balance. Cause I think the Packers, um, I think the Packers are going nine and seven. So I say eight and eight for Minnesota, for Minnesota. I'm the only reason why I can't give the Packers 10 wins is because, because the threat of injury would be so significant to Green Bay because Green Bay has the depth issues on both sides of the ball. I, I just can't see a 
injury being more of a threat to damaging a team than it would be to the Packers right now. So that's why I can't give them a team. Uh, I can't give them ten wins right now. So I say, yeah, nine and seven, Detroit. I mean, uh, Minnesota eight and eight. Is, eight and eight is good. Is a good scenario with the schedule for, for uh, Minnesota. Now, um, and here's why I say Detroit may, is looking at seven and nine in the face. The two teams that they play that are not the AFC North and the NFC South, they have the Giants and the Cardinals, and they are the first two games of the season. Ouch. <laughs> Oh, and, and yeah, they get the Vikings in, I mean, they get the Falcons at home, at home in week three. So, um, Detroit, home, uh, they get the Cardinals at home, at Giants, home against the Falcons. That could very well be 0-3. At Vikings, you get the Panthers at home, at Saints, and you get the Steelers at home on uh, Sunday night, 29th. That's not good. Yeah, that's a tough schedule. That is rough. Oh, yeah, and then just to balance everything out, you get, you go to Green Bay the next Sunday night. <laughs> after, after you go to Pittsburgh, you go to Green Bay for sun, for back-to-back Sunday night game. Yikes. Yeah, if Detroit if Detroit uh, gets into the playoffs this year or gets to eight and eight, nine and seven, they will definitely have earned it. Uh, by the way that they're scheduled set up on paper, that is just that is brutal. That is brutal, and you still have oh man, you still have the um, and you look after that stretch with uh, Steelers and Packers back to back. You still have the Ravens and Bucks back to back, both on the road. Two yeah, physical teams, right. two physical defenses. Schedule makers didn't do them any favors. This Absolutely year. not. Yikes! 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 But that's what happens when you when you have that Thanksgiving when you're the Thanksgiving team and you're always slotted. You you're always going to get some type of some type of schedule where you're going to get a, a, a rough little stretch there. I mean, it happens to Dallas a lot too. Well, yeah, and this is this is it right here. You get um the you get the Packers on the sixth on uh, November sixth. You get the Packers, the Browns on the twelfth. Um, so you got to come back off a of Sunday night, then play Sunday night at eight thirty. Come back and play on an early game the Sunday, the following week. You got the Bears at at one o'clock. You're, you're at Chicago. Thanksgiving, you get Minnesota at home. Then you turn around and play the Ravens, and then the Bucks the following week. Oh gosh. Mm-hmm. Um. Then the last three games, home against the Bears. You're at Cincinnati, which isn't necessarily the greatest. Um, being at the style of system, that's another physical defense. And then you end the season with the Packers at home. That's that's helpful. <laughs> oh boy, yikes, yikes, yikes! All over the place. Worst case scenario, Stafford doesn't play well. Throws equal number of interceptions or touchdowns and they end up 5-11. and 11. Best case scenario, they get help from Amir, from Amir Abdullah. Uh, Jones has a great season where he catches 80, 80 balls and becomes one of the top receivers in the league. Um, they don't turn over the ball down the stretch and they end up ahead of Minnesota in a tie with Green Bay and that last game of the season is the tiebreaker and they end up 9-7. and seven. Yeah, that's going to be a stretch though, to get all the way there. They're, they're going to have to they're, they're going to have to play light. Stafford would be MVP if they if they get to nine or ten wins this year, I think. I agree. I agree. So I'm gonna take the middle and I'm gonna put them eight. I'm gonna put the best case scenario seven and nine. And they'll be on the outside looking in the playoff picture. Right. So we've got two more divisions to go. Next week we will have the NFC East and the NFC South. Uh just looking ahead to preview. Uh, Don and I are huge NFC East fans, obviously, with um Don being a Raskin fan and I'm and myself being a cowboy fan. Uh this is the eventual suspension of Ezekiel Elliott, which is being which is going to be decided um, I'll say, uh, before we air. Um, we're still going to be waiting for that, whether it's six games or whether it's four games. Um, that may make some changes in who comes out in the division of the a- the NFC South. I mean, that's Atlanta's division to lose, I guess. Um, they, they actually got better. You know, that's after after that painful defeat in the Super Bowl, uh, they went back to work, uh, picked up some significant pieces in the draft. Um, you know, they did have a lot. They did have a, a somewhat significant loss. 
with a suspension, but I still think the Falcons are the team to beat as far as the NFC goes. So I'm looking forward to that preview. Um, we'll also give you an idea of how to pick your fantasy draft. I mean, I have some um, I have some clues now. If you uh, if you've got a few minutes, Don, um, we can just discuss your first you know your first maybe four or five picks. Um, you want to give some ideas? Okay. Um, here's what my major strategy is. Everybody talks about don't do this, don't do that. Have a strategy. Um, the name of the game is people who score touchdowns. So, you know, to me, the way I look at fantasy football, especially the way I'm a person this year, darts don't mean anything to me. Touchdowns is what's going to mean everything. So I have a particular strategy, and it's probably going to involve picking the quarterback as the first person I pick. Now, I have, you know, about six guys that I have my eye on, and depending on, you know, who gets picked where, it will affect which quarterback I get. That's pretty much going to be my first pick because he's going to account for the most touchdowns. Now, um, after that, I may I have another scenario in mind about who I'm going to get next, but depending on how your draft goes, if all of a sudden people start making a run on receivers, you might want to jump in there and get your receiver, uh, a top, you know, level receiver, and maybe like, you know, wait until the next round to get your running back or so because you see what the trend of the of the draft is. You know, sometimes it may start out where everything is going fine for four or five picks, then all of a sudden somebody goes off strategy, and then all of a sudden they start picking up like four, five, six receivers in a row, and then all of a sudden here you are about to pick, and then there's no receivers, any you know, high level receivers to pick anymore. So you got to go with the flow of kind of your draft that would be my just number one uh advice um kind of have a strategy but don't stick to it kind of feel the ebb and flow of your of your draft um it used to be old school everybody's just picking running backs like one through ten and then kind of after the tenth pick the draft kind of really started because then somebody would go off script and then you kind of have to catch up from there but like i said this year it just matters about touchdowns and quarterbacks account for the most touchdowns so i may be doing something unconventional and pick two high level quarterbacks first or something to have like a trade piece if I need a running back or something later on that, um, you know, so I, I kind of have a little different strategy because I've tried different strategies and gotten close to winning and haven't quite won a championship yet. So I always try to come up with something a little bit different than a year. Before. Um, I'm actually going a little bit away from my usual this year. Uh, I've done pretty well with what I've done, what I've had in the past, um, particularly in our KTS league. Um, you know, I've I've had a um, I finished as the league runner up two years ago. I finished in third place um, last season. Um, but I'm going to try something a little different and see how it works. Um, I think I'm going to load up on your uh, your key position players uh, with my first. I would say my first five picks. I'm going to take the best two running backs, two receivers receivers and tight end available um i'm not gonna quick pick a quarterback until um until the mid rounds because unless i'm a top three pick in the draft i figure the numbers drop so significantly that your touchdown your touchdowns from your quarterbacks kind of tend to even out after your your rogers your brady's your matt ryan's of that level so if i'm picking six through nine then i can go ahead and take two running backs and two top gifted receivers and maybe the top um the top tight end if you know top tight end or maybe a third receiver if that that adds up so i, I attack from there i'm gonna i'm gonna go i'm gonna go a little bit later as far as the quarterback depending on my, my position to draft the only thing tyler that i would kind of debunk you with is i've already printed out the numbers so i've seen the strategy already right mm-hmm. okay 
quarterback, I put the, I think the cutoff was like 25 was my number of touchdown passes, right? Okay. There's about, there's like 16 guys. There's around, there's like, you know, 14, 12, 14 guys that got like 25 touchdowns, right? Okay, fair enough. Running, running backs. There's like, um, I think there was maybe like a pool of like eight guys that got over 10, right? First mm-hmm. wide receiver, four guys got over 10 touchdowns. So that's why I'm saying people telling you don't pick a quarterback is kind of maybe a losing strategy because a quarterback is going to produce more than half the touchdowns you're going to score for your whole season. Regardless of if you get Odell Beckham, you're not going to be able to get Odell Beckham and Antonio Brown. And that's the only way you're going to even be able to get close to adding up to what Aaron Rodgers did. Aaron Rodgers threw 40 touchdowns. I think Beckham had 10. I think um, Antonio Brown had like 14 or 12. It's still only half of his production. That's just touchdowns. We're not even counting yards yet. So that's what I'm saying. Picking a quarterback, if you can, if even if you get Brady, who threw 28 touchdowns, he only had two interceptions. So the negative, just of not throwing interceptions, makes him more valuable than if you get the seventh best receiver or the eighth best running back. Because the name of the game in fantasy football is actually the touchdowns. Because Jerome Bettis taught me this. I'd rather have Jerome Bettis run for three yards and score three touchdowns. That's 18 points. Then have a dude play all day and run for 120 yards and never get in the end. And that's how you have to, like I was telling my cousin, you have to kind of approach it in a way of points, 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 points. Quarterbacks generate more points regardless of anybody on your team besides your kicker. They're going to be responsible for more points. So it would be foolish if you play a game that's based on people putting their foot in the end zone, not getting the guy responsible for the most first. I don't get it. I've never understood it. So that's the reason why I'm saying you can have your strategy and think that you want to get a running back first, but you're never going to get the bet. Even Le'Veon Bell only had like 14 rushing touchdowns last year. That's still right. less than half of what Aaron Rodgers is going to give you on a bad year. So even if you get, let's say, if I'm picking the, if I'm picking on the low end of a 10 or 12 team pool, I'm, I'm still the- at a bat. I'm still at a position where you're where you're getting a quarterback that's still going to get you about seven or eight more touchdowns than the best receiver. Right, right. So get the value in the in the touchdown makers. Like don't wait. Mm-hmm. You know, people get caught up in yards, and in yards is cool, but yards don't really mean anything in fantasy football because six points is always going to be greater than the one point you get for every ten yards a receiver or a running back makes. So I'd much rather have my receiver go for 50 yards but he scores two touchdowns yeah give me the 12 points off the two touchdowns all day mm-hmm. and, and we're gonna win some fantasy we're gonna win some fantasy games because the double digits is so important out of those other positions you, most quarterbacks are going to make your double digits and that's what you want to count on right. is that you you know and so they said that the formula is to try to score 93 points in a in a in an average fantasy game fantasy league that around 93 to 95 points should pretty much have you win more times than you lose well you know it's a lot harder if your quarterback is struggling to get you 40 or 30 points every week than it would be if you know okay yeah i've got roethlisberger i've got brady i've got drew Brees, i've got even Kirk cousins even though Kirk cousins in the realm of wins and losses on the actual football field doesn't seem to be a good quarterback in people's eyes in this game of fantasy football he's definitely worth the a, a top 10 pick like your first person you pick on your team is definitely worth mm-hmm. Kirk cousins so that's why i'm saying the strategy should be that they tell you not to pick a quarterback first i don't understand it i don't get it he's he's, he's the most important yeah. he's the most he's the most important player on the team on every other game you and play then, why wouldn't he be right. the most important player on the team in fantasy football too right. and, and again and, and even
even and even if you get a quarterback like a Blake Bortles who throws a lot of interceptions, touchdowns worth six points. Interceptions only worth two. Right. It's, it's worth negative two. Right. Right. So I mean, that's just another another way to approach it. I mean, like I said, I've always tried to have an alternative approach, but this year, like last year, last last few years, I've kind of gone with a handy handcuff approach where it give me Antonio Brown and give me Ben Roethlisberger. I look at the mm-hmm. stats and I go, yeah, I go, wow, Ben Roethlisberger threw like forty t- through like thirty something touchdowns and Antonio Brown really caught twelve. And it seems like you never really fully get the grasp of the full points that way. So it's like, okay, well, here's what I'll do this year. Instead of trying to do that, let me get like a top-notch quarterback if I'm get lucky to get one of these top-notch receivers, but I'm not going to handcuff them. I'm going to get somebody totally different and try to make sure that my running back situation is a little bit better. Because sometimes if you make a run on the receiver too soon, you have to make sure if you want that particular quarterback, you may have to reach for that quarterback a little soon too if the draft starts going quarterback heavy and you want to get that marriage. In theory, it sounds good, but in a day like if they have they go up against a really good defense, then you basically knock out two players out of your lineup. Mm-hmm. And, so- and that's and that's why I, I, I learned that because um, in one of my leagues, I had Peyton Manning. I mean, I had Eli, Eli Manning and um, and I had Odell. Uh, the thing is, when Eli has one of those pick days, he doesn't balance it out. He, he may have a TD and three picks. And of course, that TD, if that TD didn't go to Odell, then I was short because Odell's going to get your six or seven receptions, but he may only have, um, you know, 87, 88 yards. And I'm going against a guy who has, you know, who doesn't have that marriage and that receiver is likely going to have you know a better day than Odell did so it's it's high it's it's high risk high reward pretty much um because a lot of people like to like to do that that quarterback receiver because you figure you get double the points but if neither scores high then you're out right right so you'll definitely lose more games than you'll win and a lot of things I know we're trying to end up the show we'll have to have like a whole another just kind of fantasy kind of you know just a podcast based on this but um another another trick that you can do is don't always be pressed like for things like defense defense because there's always going to be a really bad team that doesn't have a very good offense. And you can basically fish around the bottom feeders of the league and, and just, you know, throw that defense in against that team. And you can kind of make up the same amount of points as if you had like one stellar defense for the whole season. So there's a lot of mixing and matching that goes on in this game that you can steal a lot of wins out of just by understanding the team that you're playing against. Like if a team is very bad against the pass and you're, you know, he's your third receiver on your team, but he's the second best receiver on his actual football team, and they're going up against a bad passing defense, then that's a day that you probably need to play that guy because he may, you know, have a couple of touchdowns or a touchdown in a 90-yard game, you know, and that's double-digit points that you weren't expecting off your bench just by playing your matchup. So, I, I trolled the Raven Wire so much for defense, defense matchups where you may, you may look at a team that has a bad defense or even is ranked poorly, but if they go against a terrible offense then there's your there's your matchup so that's why you can probably hold out as long as possible and maybe even make your last pick as a defense and do definitely don't get two because um you'll likely be putting putting that defense on the waiver wire anyway if you want to play matchups so yeah definitely um i would definitely say that one of the big tips is your late your late draft selections uh you know don't be so quick to go for the top scoring defense when you can you can get a ma- you can get a better matchup for that particular uh for that particular week um my 
other my other big fantasy tip would be your seventh, eighth, and ninth rounds. Uh, look for your guys that are your second tier guys on high scoring offenses. Like we like we were mentioning before, you may not be able to get the, you may not necessarily want the handcuff with a with a top notch quarterback and his main target and receivers, but you definitely can look out and get extra points by going to the second guy or the um the slot guy uh that can, you know that can win you some matchups. Cole Beasley, for example, for the Dallas Cowboys did a lot of work for me uh, because he was a go-to target. Even though he's not billed as the number one guy, he racks up catches and yards, and uh, and eventually he does. Get, he got into the end zone um, towards the middle of the season. So I um I definitely would look to see who plays the slot receiver in high-scoring offenses, and you and that that would be your mid-round. If you look for if you're looking for a, a third wideout or even your number two wideout, I would say go there. But uh, just looking forward to next week as we wrap up today's show. Um, Don, you can give a final thought. Oh, man, I'm just um, looking forward to, uh, you know, getting a little bit closer to the football season, uh, seeing these preseason games, uh, getting a chance to see some of these guys uh, play in the second half, uh, trying to make a football team. Um, just hopefully that, you know, they can you know stay uh, free of injury and, and guys can, can show their best and, and, you know, maybe we'll get to see somebody in the seventh or sixth round come out and, you know, start their career on their uh, time Brady mission. Uh, that's really the best part about training camp is just getting to know some of these long shots who, uh, you know, actually end up making some of these football teams. And, you know, if the right situation uh, comes up, they get a chance to make a name for themselves. So I'm um, just continuing to, you know, get ready for the season. Okay. Um, I'm going to take my final thought a little elsewhere. Um, I have not taken a look at the ESPN's the undefeated um, top 50 African-American, uh, African-American list. I'm going to uh, make a note to do, to do that. Um, I actually, have a have a very 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 good book um top 100 athletes of the century i'm actually going to do some cross checking to see where they put athletes that have made the most impact which is my list um devised by several writers including for the sporting news versus the undefeated and how many of those are african-american and how many of those contributions are considered to be significant to the world of sports because that is a clear indication of what this ranking is i'm interested to see where um how the impact of the black athlete is appreciated amongst these two these two rankings um i believe me personally i believe that uh the black athlete has been somewhat underappreciated over the years particularly because several sports he wasn't allowed to participate in and now uh sports in the general perspective is really just catching up to the influence and the significance of the black athlete um i think it's very important that we we recognize the contributions and you know not, not only the skill demonstrated on fields or on courts and you know all over but we need to recognize their contributions off the field we can talk about Serena and Venus Williams um, arguably the greatest sports story of all time we can talk about how they their impact has generated a conversation of salary in sports a salary and equal pay in the sports world and how that's actually boosted women's rights off the athletic fields in the professional world it's, it's a serious conversation and I also think we need to reflect in these current days and times on the impact of great athletes like Muhammad Ali, who chose to spoke, who chose to speak out for uh, for equal rights issues, and you know made the sacrifices. Um, you know you could get into the dynamic of of why the sacrifices, why did the sacrifice was significant, but definitely with today's professional athlete, um, you know they have voices, and we as we as media and as citizens and as consumers of sports need to take into consideration that these athletes are human; they're human beings first. 
first. You know, if they choose to speak out, that's great, but they have to be informed. They have to be prepared. And part of being informed and prepared to participate in a social justice discussion has to be considering the cost of risking said platform to speak out. Um, we shouldn't be so ready to condemn athletes when they choose to stay silent or when they choose not to be involved in such protests because although they may have feelings within their heart, they have to consider all of the costs, which is why we have a great respect for guys like Muhammad Ali who considered that cost and did it anyway. Testament of what a great person really and truly is. For Don DeLorente, for Thasso Jesse, for Tobias Wilborn, for our producer, Classic Materia, and our co-founder, Beauty Jackson, I am Tyler Ball, and now you know the score.